Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Breaking Health Podcast. Here with uh, our great esteemed host, Steve Krupa of the Silos Group. Hi, Tom. How you doing? Good. You're learning Boston words, huh? I am. Learning how to Wuben. You're blending right in, Steve. Spell Wuben. W O B U R N. That's right. That's Wuben. Right. We'll get you. We'll get you to Leicester and, 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 and Worcester in a little while. Yeah, yeah. And I can't I, spell Worcester. Yeah, don't I have try. No idea. No clue. But you did have you did uh, find your way to the Sync Project, uh, a Boston area company. You had another one, so happy to have uh, happy to have you find a local connection. You spoke with uh, Marco Atasari, the CEO yes. of the Sync Project, who is a a music guy just like you. I was getting a little jealous. You guys were having a real good bro music bro conversation, and I know I just can't participate at, at the level you both were at. That's because we listen to things other than like Ario Speedwagon <laughs> and, and Foreigner. <laughs> What's your point? That's just my, my aerobics mix. What are you talking about? Yeah, listen. that's your running mix. I know. <laughs> so let's talk about the Sync Project a bit. What are they uh, trying to do? Uh, well, remember, we, um, we sort of touched on this company uh, when we talked to Daphne uh, Zohar over at uh, PureTech, right? And um, she talked about it a little bit, but you know, I wasn't going to let go of it because it's about music. It's the only chance for me to talk about music in a healthcare uh, podcast. So, uh, so we went and, and, and Marco was good enough to come back on. And, uh, really we, we get into s- some things. First of all, the, the sync project is cool. You should go on the website. Uh, you have the opportunity to present songs, uh, that, uh, relate to certain activities like sleeping, running, uh, getting, uh, relaxing and things like that. It's uh, go go dot sync project dot co. Yeah, exactly. So one of the things that they're doing is they're trying to build. Build out that that knowledge uh, from uh, from consumers of music in terms of what they use their music for. Uh, that's one piece of it, and the other piece of it is to begin to develop you know, digital therapeutics with music as a core component. So uh, all of that comes together into a fairly unique idea, and uh, you know I think an, an interesting thing to talk about. Uh, you know, given most people enjoy music, uh, you know, for some portion of their day. Except maybe for you, Tom. I'm not sure. I feel like you. <laughs> I do. I do. I, I, I probably lean on Pandora a little too heavily to make my suggestions. But uh, so, what is your Pandora go-to station? Oh my gosh, I've got. Uh, well, I'm a '90s, '80s guy. So when I'm at the gym, it's a Pat Benatar station, and I know it's Ooh. completely cheesy, but uh, yep. makes me feel young again. Mind you, the spandex pants, I imagine. Yeah, that's right, and the and the headband, <laughs> <laughs> which I wear proudly. <laughs> And then I get into '90s with some letters to Cleo, or or might do some oh. Billy Joel kind of stuff if, oh, I'm feeling, if I'm just sitting around the office. So I'm not a complete lamo, but uh, but I'm I'm on the way for sure. Sure. Uh, so what are we what are we going to do with music? Is it going to make it? Is it going to heal our wounds? Is it going to improve our moods? I mean, it was an interesting conversation about maybe an impact on on pain relief. What can we? What can music do for us in a health capacity? You know, it seems like uh, there's a relationship between music and cognition. It seems like there's a relationship between certainly uh, stress and music, right? Um, and, uh, you know, we may be able to use it, uh, you know, as a way to uncover uh, disease in people. Um, but I think really what it will ultimately be is it will be part of 
the consumer experience around health health applications. You know, my my bet is that uh, in the medium term, uh, as we see these digital therapeutics and these engagement applications become you know more and more prevalent, you know, one of the tools uh, that programmers are going to try to use is 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 music as a cue, music as part of a therapeutic, and that would be very much a personalized attribute to the user. So it will become a component part of personalized therapies um, over time uh, as they begin to collect more data and as they begin to understand you know, the exact types of music that really have an impact. I really love that this is a, an actual project, an actual company that's trying to put this all together. So I'm um, glad. Yeah, I don't want to steal Marco's thunder, but, nope, let's go. but, let, but there's, a, there's, like, there's other you know, consumer applications that maybe are less uh, you know, strenuous than, say, trying to create a therapeutic and more... Um, you know, more along the lines of alternative medicine type applications for music as well. So I think he's got a lot to say. A very interesting guy, uh, former designer, and I think it's a, it's a cool interview. Great. And I, and I think for our 50-second podcast, we should let uh, DJ Scoop Krupa kind of make a mixtape for us here on the <laughs> Breaking Health podcast and get, get everybody grooving right. What do you think? Yeah, we can put it up as, uh, you know, as a podcast and a download, and then people can have my playlist. <laughs> <laughs> I think they'll love that. All right, let's get into this conversation with uh, Marco Tesari, uh, CEO of Sync Project. Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast. I'm here with Marco Atasari from the Sync Project. Welcome uh, to the show, Marco. Thanks for having me. So we alluded to your company uh, a little bit in uh, in a past show with uh, Daphne Zohar from Pure Tech, um, and your company is 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 all about uh, designing and 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 creating a science about how music can directly impact people's health. And I can't wait to talk about that because everybody wants to talk about music. Um, but I do want to talk about you. I mean, I, I've I've sort of read a little bit about your background as a designer um and i know you're a little bit of i know you're a musician for a little while tell me how things came together uh that stimulated your interest in in health and music as a, as a combined uh project yeah it's um sometimes uh, things come together in a kind of remarkable way things in your life that you didn't think would fit together uh in the case of my um uh, background in consumer products, technology, and then music, and uh, an increasing interest in, in health. I was uh, head of product design at Nokia until Nokia sold the business to Microsoft, and I was taking a bit of a sabbatical, and uh, the director of the MIT Media Lab uh, uh, here, here in Boston, Cambridge, called me Joey Ito, and he said, uh, why don't you um, uh, join the Media Lab as a director's fellow? And I, so I was coming to um, uh, MIT a lot. And through this process, I um, met um, uh, Daphne Zohar from PureTech and Kepki Karanam, uh, who's my science co-founder in Sync Project. And uh, we started, the, f- the first thing is we started going through all of the scientific 
recent scientific research and directional evidence on the health effects of music. And, you know, like a good melody, it just didn't leave me alone. And, uh, mm-hmm. and then uh, ended up uh, co-founding the company together with uh, an- another MIT uh, recent PhD, um, Yadid Eisenberg, who's our uh, technology and product uh, lead. And so it, I hadn't thought, frankly, that these areas could be combined. I think in general, I had, I had worked on consumer products and smartphones and at a kind of massive industrial scale, scale, 1.3 billion devices during the four years I was there. And I felt like I had seen that path to a, a, a point. And I, um, something I think at the Media Lab really brought together, like the overlap in the future, I think the future of design has to do with an intersection with science. So really, there's even a new journal of design and science coming out of the uh, Media Lab and MIT Press now. So applying uh, the crafted design uh, services prototyping in very close collaboration with science and scientists, I think, is uh, what I wanted to do. And then this ability to do it in the domain of music um, just lit me up. Yeah, that, that that's cool. I, I'm going to take a little sidetrack on design because uh, design is, I don't know, it, it, it feels to me like it's becoming a very big, uh, big deal in the world in terms of trying to design products that people want to use and design software that people want to use. And I'm I'm reminded of a book I read a while back called The Design of Everyday Things. Did you, uh, do you know this guy, Don Norman, by any chance? Sure, absolutely. I've met him many times and I've read the book as well. <laughs> well, I would imagine, it seems to me that the thinking of that book is, is influencing, uh, a lot of, a lot of design today when it comes to software and, and mobile devices. Um, just give our audience a sense for, for what design is and, and why it's different than, say, engineering, if you will. Well, I think um, maybe a fundamental thing is designers build to think clearly. So you essentially you prototype and make things, uh, whether they're physical objects or services, uh, systems. So you build something rough, and then by interacting with that thing, you think more clearly um, about it. And fundamentally, I think it's about taking a very human perspective um, uh, on things. I'd say that the big evolution, and this relates to this overlap between design and science, is more and more um, a, we we live in a kind of age of uh, networks and network power. If you think about the companies like Airbnb, Facebook, all of those, so these are increasingly systems. So I think designers are really um, another area where design uh, practice can be applied is in in these systems and in participants in these systems. I don't mean to sound too abstract, but I think right now, if you're talking about physical objects, none of the Almost all physical objects will be connected in some way, and connected, uh, being connected changes them. And so un- understanding those dynamics is very, very important. But fundamentally, it's about building things so that we can think more clearly, uh, prototyping them, and uh, through that having a sort of hum- human perspective on everyday things and engagement with services, something you've talked a lot about on the podcast. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is to me, you know, one of the theories of design is that you, you ought to be able to sort of look at something, right? And understand how it ought to work by the way, the way you interact with it, right? You know, mm-hmm. and, and what's interesting about your new company to me is when I heard the name and I heard its purpose, I immediately started to imagine the ways in which I might interact with music. To, to help me with my health, right? It's almost like the the concept is built it, it built for us 
naturally, and now we've just got to go sort of, you know, get the details and make it and make it work. Does that make sense? Yeah, it certainly makes sense. I mean, music is such a um, it's like a wondrous, powerful thing. You know, yeah. if you've uh, played music, uh, listened to music, um, I think intuitively we know the, mu- the power that music has uh, over us. We all self-medicate with music. Uh, to some degree, we use music to get pumped up, uh, uh, to get motivated, to calm down, uh, uh, to, to relax. And so that that's in our favor, in a way that people are open to the idea. Anyone that has felt chills from music will understand that this thing moves us deeply. On the other hand, uh, you know, that intuition is not enough. We really, it's been core to us to uh, partner with the leading scientists in the world and really build on the scientific um, uh, advances of the last uh, 10, 20 years. And there's been a a lot of this um, basically in two areas. There's fundamental uh, basic research in um, neurological function in music, so what's firing in the brain when we listen to music, we play music, and there's advances there, and as well then strong directional evidence in some um, clinical cases, and we can, we can talk about both those areas. But we felt like combining those two um, things, the, the intuition, the strong directional evidence in science. What we didn't see, and when we were talking with the scientists, was that no one had built a way to collect data on this phenomenon at scale. And that's been the first phase of the company, to really build a platform where we can collect data um, in a a range of conditions. I can talk about where we're focusing there, but essentially um, three broad areas. We're looking at music's effect on movement, so um, how music makes us move, uh, that has application in athletics, athletic performance, but also in movement disorders, uh, including um, gait in Parkinson's and areas like that. Then uh, relaxation, more relaxation response side of the axis, relaxation sleep, flip side is anxiety. Um, uh, and then third, uh, which is perhaps more surprising, but pain mm-hmm. and dealing with pain, post-operative pain. So in all of these areas, collecting data at different scales, but the, what the data consists of is a range of things, but examples of music that has worked for people, so just even self-report, or I can talk a bit more about that, but we, on the, on the most focused side, it's then uh, sensors, analyzing the biometric effect of music listening on an individual level, as well as acoustically analyzing the music. So um, the acoustic properties, uh, beat, the the depth of the groove of music, uh, key, the color or timbre of the music, which instruments are used, and those things. And build this unique data set, mapping these two two things, the biometric effect to the properties of the music. And by mining this data set, um, and applying machine learning techniques to that is the goal is to do these um, uh, algorithmic music therapeutics. And that, that's, we felt that this platform hadn't been done. The researchers said we'd need it. And so we partner with them and to collect the data. And that's really the stage we're right now at. And it's very exciting to see the data yeah. come in. So I, I, I jumped on the website and uh, like a good music fan, I decided to submit a couple of recommendations to you guys. So I did the, uh, the, the sleeping recommendation was Miles Davis in a silent way, which, you know, nice it's actually, one. yeah, it's pretty, but, it, you know, I, I find if I put it on at night, I'll fall asleep. Yeah. And, um, and interesting, the running one, I think there was a running, uh, thing. Yep. And I, and I did that, 
uh, walking on sunshine, which is whatever, for whatever reason, makes me want to run. Very good. Thank you for, for that. And anyone, <laughs> anyone listening to the podcast, it's go.syncproject.co, C-O. Um, and we're really, it's a good example of the kind of different scales at which we are, across which we are gathering data. So we've analyzed over 10 million uh, public playlists that have health-related terms in their names and looked at what kind of acoustic properties are characteristic in, in different workout context, for example, relaxation context. So that's, in a way, passive, large, and lots of people participating without knowing it. These are public playlists. We mine them. Then there's the more thoughtful uh, thing that you did, a thoughtful recommendation. This track has actually worked for me. And as you said, for whatever reason, we may not always uh, know. We may have some idea. And by collecting that, we're, again, analyzing these. These are thoughtful self-report, which are very important. And then more uh, biometric so not just reporting that this thing worked, but really looking at the biometric effects. So later this year, we'll open up more just on a smartphone application, the ability to um, contribute data in these different areas, as well as the very small focused studies. There we're talking ends of tens, where there's, you were decked out with much more sensors and where we're looking, really looking in detail. But I think it's key to understand that we can gather data at all these scales and put that together. To form a full picture. So, at, at, I want to just dig into what the product might be, and then I'm, and then I do want to talk about the science because the science interests me quite a bit. But yeah. I, but I, but I pulled a quote that said a dynamic playlist tuned to your body for specific health outcomes. Mm-hmm. Is, is that a good description of what a a part of the product would be? Yeah. So imagine our, our hypothesis is that the biometric effects of music are personalized, and so the health effects of music are personalized. And personalization and being personal to you may mean many things. It starts with your preference and your history with music, the music that, that you've heard in the past and liked in the past, as well as your, your body's reaction to certain acoustic parameters, how you respond to certain tempo ranges or depth of groove and so on. And then third is actually that where your body is currently, what, what your cadence is, how are you walking or running at the moment or what your heart rate is, uh, heart rate variability. And so in all these cases, the idea is that it's like a biometric music recommendation, what to play you if you'd like to relax, given the, those aspects about you. And I think when we say it's dynamic, it means it's not a, it's not a static playlist. It's not like relaxed playlist, same for everybody, all these songs in the, this order, but the, 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 there'll be different songs for different people and the order may change depending on your physiology. Interesting. And when you think of this as a product, do you think of it as ultimately obtaining um, a medical prescriptive label? Or do you think of it as a more of a wellness product where it's, there is some evidence of success and using, using the, the, the product will, will help you sort of tune to a particular uh, outcome, but it isn't like a medicine? So it's a really good question, and it really depends on the effect sizes uh, we will and are discovering. Mm-hmm. So um, the... Let's take the case of um, pain, for example. Um, it's, it's not maybe so familiar to, to people, but uh, there have been studies showing that playing music post-operation objectively decreases the need for opioids. 
Wow. And so this is self-administered uh, uh, analgesic. So you're you're administering yourself, and uh, and in in this case, uh, post anesthesia one hour after arrival, you're. Uh, played music, and in those groups that were played music, they administered less opioid. Now, given the kind of opioid epidemic that's in this country, if a music therapeutic administered in these contexts could play a role in reducing the amount of opioid need post-operation, and as a consequence of opioid addiction that results from that and so on, that's a big thing. And then I'd say that it's, it's instrumental to that. With, like, do, what kind of approval do we need for that? And so, uh, of course, this is a new thing. You've, you've discussed some of these uh, on your book podcast. In, in the case of, uh, like, video games, Achille Interactive Labs is pioneering that, you know, FDA approval path. Uh, we haven't yet decided, and we want to maintain, be, be open to it. What I do believe, though, is that music is such a human universal that we do want at least part of our product to be very, very broadly available. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to lock it up and only confine it to perhaps very effective but clinical cases. Music is also safe, so we don't have to safety issue. It's mainly about the, the efficacy and the uh, effect sizes that we're witnessing. Interesting. So we've there there there's the the pain thing. Uh, frankly, I, I hadn't I hadn't known that. I didn't realize that was the case. But I, I do know that music can either have beneficial or sometimes detrimental effect on the way people retain information. Is that a correct statement? Or cognition maybe might would might be the word I think of. Yeah. Yep. And particularly the area you're a musician. So in terms of music for focus and productivity. People that have played more music versus not uh, react quite differently in in those cases. Uh, overall, I mean, if you look at the fundamental neurological function underlying music listening, so what's been shown and brain imaging studies as well is that mus- music listening fires many of the same pathways. It's not only limited to auditory cortex, but it's uh, dopaminergic circuitry, emotion, motivation, reward, and uh, pain, also memory, stress, arousal, autonomic responses. And then I think there's a broad other area which has to do with social affiliation and empathy. We're not looking at that so much, but we all know that what it is like to have together listened to a piece of music and uh, how, how that can both affect us emotionally but increase empathy and ability to collaborate, for example. Um, so there's broad areas where it has application. Now, the, the fact that we're seeing similar pathways fire, of course, not all the dots are connected towards behavior, but like the pain case showed that that's actual behavior that's changing. And that is quite, uh, as you know, difficult to do, and that's in a way a, a, a challenge for many digital therapeutics, the engage, like uh, engagement, uh, sticking with it, but then also the behavior change that results from it. Um, one, one example which you may find also, which is kind of a, speaks to your point on the cognition side, is uh, there's, there's been research by Teppo uh, Sarkamo in Helsinki University in my, my native Finland on music support for stroke recovery. And, and this was a cerebral artery stroke. Um, there was a sort of positive control, which was an audiobook. Um, and this was for one hour daily for two months post uh, the traumatic brain event. 
And uh, so there was audiobooks, so just testing if it's, it's just the auditory cortex and sound, and uh, control with standard of care. And what, we, what that study showed was improvement and sustained improvement uh, in verbal memory and focused attention. And, and this, is, this is interesting, sustained. So once you'd stopped after the two months, those improvements remained. So to, to your point about cognition, this is one study that has shown it in this clinical context. Hey everybody, Tom here. Two quick things. The first is a sort of technical difficulty. At the end of this podcast, uh, Marco Atsari from Sync mentions uh, Dr. Robert Zatari. Unfortunately, we lost the audio for just the, uh, the few moments that he was uh, referencing Dr. Zatari's name. So uh, we wanted to give you a heads up and let you know that if you go on the website for the Breaking Health podcast for this particular episode, we'll have a link up on that podcast with the interview that uh, Dr. Satari had given. It's on the, uh, the syncproject.co website. So if you want to find out for more information about Dr. Satori, you can uh, just go on the website. It's on healthogy.com uh, and it's affiliated with this Breaking Health podcast. And while you're there on the website, healthogy.com, Word Health, followed by the letters egy.com. Please don't forget to register for the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. I've been warning you that it's going to sell out, likely will. Tickets are going very quickly. So uh, please do register at healthogy.com and use the Breaking Health tag. It's a, it's a bit of a code that'll save you a little bit of money. So when you're registering, just type in Breaking Health when you have the opportunity to do so. And again, you'll, uh, you'll attend a wonderful conference and uh, save a few bucks. Now back to this conversation. That's awesome. That's awesome. So the so we've gotten into a little bit of the science, and and of course the the uh, the other side of the the coin is whether this is something that the medical community is prepared to embrace, right? So are you thinking of it as information that you're going to deliver to physicians so that they can recognize that this can supplement any way in which they're treating? patients for these disorders, and I have a list, by the way, pain, anxiety, sort of sleep, right, mm-hmm. fatigue, movement, sounds like cognition uh, in, this, in the stroke example. So it, you're doing the studies for the purpose of going to the medical community, or are you doing the studies for the purpose of going to the consumer marketplace? Mm-hmm. I think right now we're really... Um in the mode of gathering data, and we will go where the data takes us. Mm-hmm. Oddly, as you may know, in the medical community and doctors, there are a lot of musicians. And so, so there's a lot of playing music already. So in principle, there's an experience of music and experience of being moved by music. And then uh, really the data will speak, you know, so showing what the results are. And so we're basically maintaining both paths open still. And um, what I said earlier is, though, I'm, I'm a consumer product uh, person. I'm joined by very uh, competent people with background in science and, and the deep sort of sensor tech. So I think music deserves to be broadly available. That doesn't mean it's free, by the way. I think we're living a, a period of music, and this is important to, I think, recognize. The whole music industry is shifting into paid streaming services, mm-hmm. um, with the leaders being Spotify, 30 million, Apple, 15 million subs. But that all, all adding all those, maybe it's about 90 million paid subscribers at the moment, uh, depending on how you add the, add the numbers in total. And that's, that's going to be a billion in five, six years' time. Mm-hmm. 
And this is a time when music is more exciting than ever because the industry is growing. And we are, to, to your point, we are like the biometric music recommendation engine on that. So how can music help you live a healthier life? And this question of how we discover music, how, what music is played, this is like fundamental. And we're very, very early days. Even the, this whole idea of a playlist is very, and we are syncing it to your biophysiology and doing that. So we want to maintain that openness to go and help people every day, even when they don't, not in a case where um, someone's had, for example, cerebral artery stroke. That's, that's important. That, Ultimately, it comes down to you know what those effect sizes are and how how we decide to monetize it. But we want to make it accessible. Sure. Uh, music is a universal thing around which people gather, and we're also you, you contributed data. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> thousands of people are contributing data. Uh, we want to take all those people along, and that means we can't. We don't intend to lock up that data. We want to make the benefits accessible broadly. Yeah, I'm going to give you more data. I just didn't have time. I didn't have more, <laughs> but I'll go on there every now and then and see how things are, things are going, and, and then try to try to add to it. But I could see, you know, a couple of things. A couple of things come to mind as you describe what you're up to. First, I mean, it sounds like you want to develop this playlist, if you will, or this this set of uh, uh, personalized music, uh, and then measure. Uh, the bio effects of listening to the music, right? So that, but that implies to me that I would have, uh, be listening to music and I would have some sort of surveillance or some sensors on me that, that you'd be able to measure whether or not I was less anxious. I'm sure that correlates to heart rate or blood pressure or something. Um, or whether I was uh, demonstrating higher levels of energy. Um, is that where a lot of your research is heading in that direction? Yep. And, but remember, more and more sensors are also included in the phone, and the phone has, uh, with things like HealthKit, has a depository of your local health data coming together in the phone. So it's, it's not that for everything we need uh, you to have a very powerful sensor. Those sensors are coming down in price. Uh, we're just using and integrating with the, the ones that are currently uh, in market and have um, good reach. Uh, Apple Watch is one example, a range of heart rate monitors, uh, and even consumer EEG. All of this can uh, bring data in, but we're not reliant on it because even today, even the sensors tracking movement in accelerometer, gyro in the phone itself can give, give us information in that category. Mm-hmm. And so how long do you think all this research will take you? I mean, we've got big computers. It's a cool subject, right? So who's, who's not going to volunteer? <laughs> yeah. right? Thank you for that. And we, we're, we're encouraged, you know, by the messages we receive every day, like how can I contribute data? And we're trying to give different uh, speed bumps and different easier and easier ways to, to do that. I wouldn't say, I, I wouldn't really refer to it as research. We think of it as collecting data informed by already done research and scientific research. And uh, it's going to be ongoing. And in fact, more like uh, on the on consumer internet, the data is gathered as people use a product. So I, I think it'll be. It, we've definitely said that uh, for the for the next year, we're gathering data and we're going in the directions where the the data data takes us. But I wouldn't think of it as a. I don't think the model is similar to a traditional big pharma model. Like five years, we're going to have people using some experience of the product and generating data back to us all the time. Yeah, I mean, I could see. I'm a. I, I think I have both a Spotify and a mm-hmm. and an iTunes subscription, and I could I could see 
a product coming out as an overlay to mm-hmm. those services or separately like a Pandora that um, said this is your this is your health sort of music app mm-hmm. and you have to come up with a name for it, right? <laughs> and maybe maybe you already have and, and I'll get a scoop here, but we'll see. Oh, you're very, you're, you're, your mind is exactly going to the, the place where we want to have broad involvement, really. How, how can you use music in a mindful way during your day? Uh, and that'll inform, and that data collect, you may wonder like, okay, I shared a track about running. That's telling us something about its effect on motivation and, and your movement and uh, uh, the rhythm. And that can be, have applications in other areas. So that's exactly, and that's why it's so important what I said about the growth in the music industry, because you constantly hear like the digitalization destroyed the music industry. It's actually right now the market is turning because as people come to pay for streaming services like yourself and like myself, they actually spend, with the exception of major music uh, music heads that are buying, buying, buying music all the time, for, in terms of digital downloads, for on average, you pay that $9.99 a month for that entire celestial jukebox. That's $120 um, a year. That is more than they would have spent on digital downloads alone in that year. So actually, the music market is growing now. And this whole area of discovery, what to play you next, where we stand in that intersection between health, your health, and uh, what music to play you, we're, there's so much innovation to, to come in that. Yeah, and I, and I think your design background will begin, once you sort of have the data collected and you begin to think about your first release of the product. The question I've always had, like I look at the music services, I, I, I don't feel they're differentiated from a design point of view, but if you can present something to the user where it's credible, right, yeah. that this actually will have a health effect, I think people will, will have a significant interest in this. Um, and of course, that's all about presentation and usability at that point, right? Thank you. And, and I think we've, we've taken the approach that while we're gathering the data and it you know, some people are waiting, like, when, how can we be more involved? We've really taken the approach to embrace the best researchers in, in this field of music, neuroscience, and, and health, and actively involve them so that we're doing, uh, I see it possible that some of the clinical applications, maybe ones where we generate the data, but for different commercial reasons, we wouldn't go after that. But we'd, together with scientists, they might interpret that data and go forward. So we really see ourselves as helping to create this new field of music therapeutics um, done with data and, and machine learning. And the more we can do that, that doesn't mean we have to make each, each therapeutic ourselves. Right. And, and you'll, you'll enable a new revenue stream for the music industry, which I'm sure they'll be happy to They'll, they'll be happy happy about. Um, and that is very important to us. Uh, yeah. We, we do think, like, consumer Internet companies uh, typically uh, live by giving something away for free and making the money somewhere uh, else. We don't believe that music should be free. And we have, uh, we have scientific advisors like Rob, one of the leading uh, researchers on neuroscience and music, but also musical advisors. So Peter Gabriel, St. Vincent, John Hopkins. Uh, and with them, we're really looking at how, how, what would be deeper ways that musicians can be involved. Uh, I don't know if you've recently seen a bunch of stories around musicians being interested in, in having their fans sleep to their music. Yeah, and that was a, actually a Tom York playlist and Moby and others. So we clearly see that Max Richter wrote an eight-hour piece of music for you to sleep in. Yeah, uh, and so there's there's clearly musical interest, mus- musician and artist interest in new models and and creating functional music. 
Yeah, Brian Eno, right? He's been doing that for years. Uh, absolutely, and that you know, in that sense, uh, in in Brian Eno's case, it's actually it's funny that you point him out. It's very relevant uh, to us because he pioneered uh, what he called generative music, but rule-based music that you let run. And uh, a piece called Thursday Afternoon, for example, for your uh, listeners, uh, it's a good good one to relax, and some people say sleep in as well. Uh, but uh, this kind of music, you could imagine that could that uh, respond to your bio- biophysiology? And we need to see that's that's of course not a mainstream thing yet. But listen, the idea that we listen to the same piece of music and it always sounds the same is of the period of recorded music. It's a very short period in history. Before recorded music, music was always different because it was played live. And now we have this moment and with the advent of computation, I think we'll see a lot of innovation. Very cool. I'm here with uh, Marco Atsari, the CEO of the Sync Project. And uh, I've got my last question for you, which please, if you've been listening to the podcast, will not surprise you. You know, look, you've got science, you've got computers, you've got you know the the aesthetic of music all combined into one company, which makes it very interesting. I'm, I'm curious about how you're going about building your company from a standpoint of creating a culture, and and how you're going about finding people to come and join you on this sort of journey. It's a great. Um question. I've also written a little bit about what I believe about culture and teams on, on my blog. I'll send you the link cool. for the, the design studio I worked in before. Essentially, I think the, the mission that we would be able to find non-pharmacological means to have near-pharmacological effects and improve people's health and well-being, that's an inspiring vision. And I think we've been able, we're able to attract people in machine learning and software development that otherwise might have other options like working in ad tech or something like that, but they feel like they'd rather use those skills uh, for a cause like this. The other is a lot of listening to music and discussion about music. There are a lot of musicians in the uh, people that have actively played or still play in the company. And uh, finally, a kind of inherent curiosity. And with that comes, I think, a sense of humor because you know startups, right? There's, yeah. there's a, a, a bomb every day that you need sure, to defuse. absolutely. And absolutely. so I, I find that leading to that humor. Also, finally, I just say that to be really creative and to, to be able to, to make these creative breakthroughs, you also need to recover and take care of your own health. So it's really, I think, using music ourselves while, while we're at work and also when away is an important part of the culture. Very cool. Last question is, how, how, can, uh, how can my listeners find you? I know you've got, a, you've got a website. Are you on Twitter or Facebook or anything like that? Yeah, we're on uh, Twitter and Facebook, and our website is syncproject, S-Y-N-C, project.co. And from there, you can go straight also on to uh, go.syncproject.co, and that's the, the best way. If, if your listeners, if you out there have used music uh, to relax, to, uh, to fall asleep, to um, enhance a run or a walk, uh, please tell us what track has worked for you because this is this um, thoughtful recommendation that uh, will help us get a better understanding of what's working. Terrific. Uh, Marco, thank you for joining us. Uh, really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. Likewise. All right. Well, thanks, Marco. It's Ari for sharing uh, Sync Project's story. And uh, it was really great to rapport between you and our uh, host, Steve Krupa. Steve, thanks for leading a great conversation. 
Uh, Marco had referenced a, uh, a talk he had given on culture. Uh, we'll put that uh, URL up on the website as well, uh, in addition to that interview with Dr. Robert Satori. I'm sure you noticed the glitch there at the end. So uh, you can uh, find out a bit more about uh, Stink's culture and its heritage. So it's, uh, it's a great story. Uh, love the mixture of music and healthcare, and uh, it's wonderful to have so many different uh, minds uh, involved in, in trying to make people feel better and be better. So that's it for this podcast. Again, go to healthogy.com to register for the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. In uh, when you're on iTunes, if you're on iTunes, getting this uh, podcast through iTunes, if you have three seconds, just uh, rate the podcast. I'd uh, love to know how we're doing. If you have 20 seconds, fill out a bit of a comment, and uh, we would love to uh, hear that as well. Always trying to make this better. Always trying to find uh, people to interview and to, uh, and to bring the best stories directly to you. So thanks again, podcast listeners. And don't forget to join us in Boston on November 2nd at the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. 